All right, let's get started. We're really running on cross point time tonight. There you go. All right, let's get uh, right to it because I want us to have uh, ample time to have some talk back afterwards tonight. So let's pray and we'll get going. Uh, Dear Lord, you are so good to us. Uh, Your blessings are so abundant. God, I absolutely love watching you work in this body. I love seeing your hand in the lives of friends and family that are here. And it is such a blessing to know you and to see your work through our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I, I thank you for that. I pray that tonight as we continue to look at Genesis 24, look at the story of Isaac and Rebecca, and look at the life of Eleazar as this just wholehearted servant. I pray that um, that you'd be honored in this time. I pray that we would be equipped. I pray that we would be warned. And uh, I pray that this would be a time where we uh, preserve that perfect unity that we have in Christ that you've given us as a gift. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for Jesus and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and open up to Genesis 24. In Genesis 24, we we are looking at uh, the story of Isaac and Rebekah and how they were brought together. Uh, You'll want to be here next week when we finish up Genesis 24 because we'll be talking about uh, our views on arranged marriages and things of that nature. So it'll be very interesting. Um, I'm still not sure where I land, but I'm leaning towards it as I read Genesis 24 more. And so uh, we'll talk about that. It should be very interesting. I was really, really wanting to, um, to finish Genesis 24 tonight, but in light of Sunday's sermon and this picture of community and this picture of uh, kind of the, the slice of heaven on earth uh, that we have within the church, uh, I'm seeing how that relates to Genesis 24, and we're going to take a little more time on this than we would have otherwise, just kind of in a re- trying to slowly and humbly and rightly respond uh, to that. Last week, there were a bunch of people gone because of the uh, weather or something, I don't know, but, uh, but uh, I want us to jump back into it this week, and we're going to start off just recapping as we look at this. One of the themes, there's some themes that have formed over the course of Genesis 24. There's these kind of themes that have come in and we're able to see God's hand at work in different ways and different lives and from different perspectives. Who are some different perspectives that we're able to see God's work uh, through in Genesis 24? Who are some different people that we've we've encountered? Eleazar, the super servant. Who else? Rebecca. Who else? Abraham. Who else? Isaac. Even Laban. Yeah, even that joker. Yeah. We're, we're, it's, it's so cool in this chapter because you see God at work. You see God redeeming. You see God providing. You see God guiding. You see God doing all these things. And we're able to see, this is a big chapter. It's 67 verses. And we're able to see uh, all these different perspectives uh, on what God is doing. And so um, I have a couple of the themes that have come up as we're looking through those perspectives. The first theme is that we kick doors in if God hasn't opened them when we think he ought. 
<coughs> and when we do this, we're shelving faith because we so desire to walk by what? Sight, yeah. Anytime we try to do away with faith, we're walking by sight. And sorry, I'm messing with this ear thing. Jeff Simmons broke our microphone during his little missionary spiel on Sunday morning. And if he's listening to this in a far distant country, you're a loser and you broke our microphone. And this one doesn't sit on my ear the same as the other one did. That's all that I have to say about that. I'm sorry. Um, so uh, Jeff did that. Thank you, Jeff Simmons, wherever you are in the world. Um, uh, he's probably has his iPod on right now, bebopping through the streets of Jordan or something, looking at a camel and a Bennigan's in one sitting. That's probably what he's doing. He'll be, when he's listening to this, back home. So, yeah, and he is in Austin, which isn't much different. There's camels and Bennigan's there, too. Um, <coughs> that's neither here nor there. So uh, this theme, one of the themes that we've seen is we have a tendency to kick these doors in when we don't feel like God has opened the door when we think he ought to. And what we're doing there is we're shelving faith because we want to walk by sight. We want to walk according to only that which we see, which we think we need. And so um, consider Isaac. Uh, what were some of the conditions in Isaac's life at this point that would have made him uh, want to kick a door open that maybe God hasn't opened yet? Where he eas- what are some ways he easily could have kicked the door open? What are his conditions first? Yeah, he could have taken a wife from the Canaanites. And why would he have done that? Yeah, he's 40. I mean, yeah. Yeah, 40, living at home with mom and dad, mooching off them, eating their food. Yeah. Yeah, they're, kinda, they're dwelling here in the land of the Canaanites, and he's going he, gonna to inherit everything. In the next chapter, it says, and Abraham gave everything to Isaac. And think about if he took a wife from the Canaanites as well as inheriting everything. I mean, he would have been set. That would have been a really smart political move. But he's not there to make political moves. He's not there to gain a footing. He's not there to try and collect land or be in equal footing with the Canaanites because God has already promised them this place. So here's Isaac. He's 40. He has no wife. And in fact, the beginning of the chapter, there's not even any any, uh, possibilities, any any, uh, candidates for, for his wife, and we see Abraham, who, do you remember the, the phrase we said a couple weeks, the, the something and the faithful look a lot alike? You remember that? Crazy, yeah. The crazy and the faithful look a lot alike. When I'm looking at Abraham, say, well, looks like Isaac's like 40, there's no wife. Uh, it's through Isaac that the promised seed will come, so this whole redemptive plan that God has is contingent upon Isaac getting married and making babies. And here Abraham says, well, um, Eleazar, I need you to go to my land, my, my, my homeland, and in fact, my, my, my family's house, and find a wife for Isaac. Uh, God will send an angel before you and let you know. It's kind of like, oh, that's all you got? I mean, you're like 150 years old, and that's all you've come up with? You've had 40 years to think about this. You know it's important that he gets married. And he looks like he's crazy, but indeed what we saw is that he's extremely faithful. He trusts the Lord. He's able to think back on God sending angels to his tent when they were uh, camping out by the, by the oaks there. And, uh, and he's able to see that. And, and it's very faithful, uh, his response. It's not crazy. So one of the things that we do when we kick a door open that God hasn't opened in his timing is we're always settling for less. We never are achieving more than what God would have provided if we kick the door open before he opens it for us. 
His timing is perfect. Ours is not. And in fact, one of the things we, we saw is that when God makes the provision, what's taken into account? Remember what's taken into account when He makes provision for us? Yeah, our whole nature is taken into account. When we make decisions for ourselves and maybe try and kick a door open before God's open, what are we taking into account? Yeah, immediate gratification. What, you know, this is what's going to make me happy right now. And we're not, we don't even have the ability to make decisions for ourselves where we can actually take our whole nature into account because our very nature is sinful and that causes us not to be able to see the entire need. It's a crazy calamity. However, God takes, in our, takes our whole nature into account when he provides for us. And so uh, one of the things that we did is we considered God's knowledge of what we need. When we're thinking about what it is that we need and what it is in our lives that, um, that we feel we don't have or that a door that hasn't opened yet, and then we step back and we say, okay, we ask the very sobering question, what does God know about what I need? What does that produce in us? Faith. Faith. What does God know about what you need? Everything. All things. He knows your whole nature. He knows your deepest needs before you voice them. How did we see that in the story last week? Eleazar was, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's praying. He's saying, God, I'm praying for a son, and I pray that you would show me who Isaac's wife is supposed to be, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask her a question that'll, the way she answers it will, will reveal something about her character. He was asking God for a sign, but it wasn't an ambiguous sign. It wasn't like, let her be wearing a green dress or anything silly like that. What the, the sign he was asking for revealed something about her character. And so he's sitting there praying, saying, God, and so when she comes out and I ask her for a drink, God, I pray that you would make the one that is Isaac's wife to say, I'll give you a drink, and not only will I give you a drink, but that, that she would say, I'll give your kid. And he doesn't even finish the prayer. And here's, behold, Rebecca. God had already caused Rebecca to leave her house and get her water jar and get her tail on the way to the well before the prayer was done. So we see this beautiful provision, and it's a reminder that when we are praying, we are not reminding God of our needs. That's not what we do when we pray. A lot of times we'll get real detailed in our prayers and we'll write it all down because we don't leave anything out because we think if we do, maybe he won't remember. That's not what we do when we pray. When we go to pray to God, we're praying to a God who knows our deepest needs before we voice them. When you actually ask that question, what does God know about my needs? What is, what is his view of what I need? It'll make us pray differently rather than praying with a laundry list of I need this, I need this, and I just want to remind you so that you don't forget. We're humbling ourselves before a God who knows our deepest needs and we'll find ourselves asking for direction and provision and insight and warnings and guarding and all these things more than give me this, 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 because he knows what we need. So we're asking to make good decisions in that process so that we may glorify him in everything that we need and everything we receive through his provision. Three-part theme came up last week that continues this week. Do you remember the the three-part theme that we talked about last week? We saw it a few times over already in the chapter, and we're not even done with it. Something about details. Pay attention to the details. Step one. What was the second part of that theme? Worship God in the midst of the details. And what's the third thing? Yeah, tell people about the details. Why? Why do we tell them? Yeah, so they have an opportunity to worship God 
in a like manner. And so this theme came up, and it's going to continue this week. So paying attention to the details, I want to discuss each of these before we move on. What were some ways that Eleazar paid attention to the details last week? I am trying to see if he journaled. <laughs> True worshipers are note takers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The first twenty something verses are what happened. The next twenty something verses are him recapping what happened. He paid attention to all these details. Um, what does anyone remember a few of the details that he remembered that he recapped? Yeah, before I finished praying, behold, that's an important detail. If he would have left that out, the worship may have been a little lackluster. That's kind of a really important thing there. The details are important. Yes. Yeah, he repeats that like three times. And you hear from Abraham, you hear him say it, then you hear him recount it to the family when he's talking to him. Yeah, go to the land and go to my household. So it wasn't enough just to go back to the country, but go back to the household as well. Any other details you remember? Yeah? No, I, I, they're all good details. <laughs> I'm not looking for specifics. I'm just looking for detail. Yes. It's a good detail for us. Absolutely. What are, that was the next thing. He worships God in the midst of the details. When do we see that? When do we see him doing that? Yeah. Yeah, as it was revealed to him, he sees her, he worships God, prays to God, and then, then when does he worship the next time? Remember, what house are you from? Who's your dad? Who's your father? And when she says, from the house of Bethuel, Milka, Nahor, that whole thing, and he, said he worships God because he sees that God had indeed prospered his journey at that point. And so you see this worship throughout. And then tell the details to others that they may have the opportunity. How did Eleazar do that? Yeah, in the midst of his worship. And then he goes and he tells, what household did he tell the details? Her household. He wanted everyone in that house to know, look at what God has done. And it's cool because at the end of the chapter when we get there, I'll spoil the end for you. He does the same thing when he gets home with Isaac. He recounts all the details again. We won't read them again, but he recounts all of them again. And so it's this beautiful picture. Pay attention to the details. Worship God in the midst of the details. And then tell those details to others so that they can worship God in a like manner. Okay, as all of this is played out, it's this beautiful picture. Because Eleazar, Isaac, Rebekah, and now all of Rebekah's household are encouraged and blessed by what God is doing in the life of Abraham. Remember, we're still dealing with Abraham here. Abraham's the one who sent Eleazar. This is the God of Abraham, and it's becoming the God of Isaac. But it's what God's doing in the life of Isaac now because of the details being paid attention to and communicated and shared and God being worshipped in the midst of them. Here we see Eleazar, Isaac, Rebekah, all of Rebekah's household being blessed and encouraged by what God is doing in the life of ultimately and originally Abraham. It's this really robust picture of this worship that's going on. This is where we pick up this week. And this is where we're slowing down this week as well and not finishing the chapter. There should be more of this going on in this body of believers. What happens here in this chapter should be going on more in this body of believers. Um, 
And even if it was going on every day in this body of believers, it should still be going on more in this body of believers. And so, uh, more sharing with one another the things that God is doing, and then worshiping and praising God in response. There needs to be more of that. And in fact, this is what I want us to see. The very sharing of what God is doing in your life is worship. That's worship. One of the things that I shared last week is that I'm burdened because I don't want to miscommunicate something to the body. I'm the worship minister here. And if worship is not limited to music, I'm concerned that our worship ministry is limited to musicians. Because the picture of worship is far more robust than singing songs for 15 minutes on a Sunday morning. Worship is about this response to God revealing himself. God reveals himself in so many ways. He's revealed himself to you in a unique way in your life. And he's done that in others. And then that exists within, the, within this community of believers that should be sharing that so that we're responding. So the very act of sharing what God's doing in your life is worship. You don't have to sing it. He told me not to do this. You don't have to sing it. You don't have to do that. And in fact, you, you, don't, um, you don't have to make it rhyme. You, you, you don't have to even put it in a prayer form. Just saying, God showed me this this week. I wanted you to know that is worship. Just the proclamation and the sharing of what God's done in your life is worship. And so, uh, um, Eleazar sets this example for us. Eleazar sets an example as this wholehearted servant to his master. He's all about the task at hand. He sets the example for us. He's on this journey. He's all about the task at hand. In fact, what did he say when they said, here's a feast for you? The people in that house threw a feast, but when he got home, they didn't. But even when they set the wonderful food before him and he could smell it, what did he say? Yeah, I got something important to say. No offense, but I'm not here for a feast. I'm here to tell you what God has done and what God is doing and what it looks like God is up to tomorrow, possibly. And so I need to share this because I need to know what your response is going to be. And then they worshiped and then they feasted after that. But he was so about it. He was so wholehearted. And what we see in the example we get is a servant who really wants to please his master. We are all servants of God. We should take the example and say, how is he working so hard to please his master? How can we respond? The way he's paying attention to the details, that pleases his master ultimately. We need to do the same. And we worship God in the midst of him and we share him with other people. So Eleazar sets this example for us. Wholehearted servant to his master, all about the task at hand, doesn't care about recognition, he doesn't, you don't see him walking in the house, I am Eleazar, an angel was supposed to come here and announce my arrival, I'm sure that has happened. Take your time, catch your breath, and now I'll share something. He doesn't do that, he doesn't care about the recognition, and, he's, and when he gets home, he doesn't receive a parade when he gets home about the job well done, Eleazar. He's not expecting that, and he doesn't receive that. It's beautiful. Eleazar is this quiet, diligent, wholehearted worshiper. This key player in God's redemptive plan only has his name mentioned once in the whole book of Genesis. In fact, in this chapter, I had to tell you it was Eleazar because it just said Abraham's servant. It's amazing. His example that he sets for us is so great. A beautiful picture of quiet diligence. And he sets an example for us, serving his master wholeheartedly without regard to the praise of men, worshiping God along the way in the midst of the details. Look at verse uh, 26 in chapter 24. Verse 26 in chapter 24, Rebecca has just said, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. Those are details that are important to Eleazar. And what does he do? The man bowed his head 
and worshiped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness towards my master. This is an important detail. I'm paying attention to it. I'm going to be quiet and diligent, and I'm going to worship God wholeheartedly in the midst of it. Look at verse 48. He's recounting it. And in recounting what has happened, he included, And I worshiped. I praised God for this because this was a reason to praise God. Then I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who led me by the right way. And then when you get over to verse 52, you see the same thing. I praise God who led me in the right way. So this is where, what we're going to do tonight. We need to hear from each other. We need to hear from each other what's going on in each other's lives. He's praising God because God led him by the right way. How was the Lord leading you in the right way? These are the questions we're going to be discussing in the majority of our time tonight. How is the Lord, how is the Lord leading you in the right way? What is He teaching you? How is He providing for you? It is necessary for us to share these details with each other so that we may worship in a more robust manner. We need to know these details. We need to know what's going on with each other. We need to have a regular practice of doing this so that it's not so awkward. It's like there's nothing more awkward in my memory of church than testimony time. Everyone's nervous, sweaty palms, freaking out. You got the one person who talks too much and won't shut up. You got the microphone that's feeding back and it's awkward because it's like, is anyone going to talk? Is God doing anything? It should not be awkward for us. It should be normal. We should be eager with it on the tip of our tongue. Look at what God is doing. I'm a worshiper. You're a worshiper. Let's worship God together in this. It shouldn't be awkward, sweaty palm time. It should be Robust worshipers gathering together, eager to please God by sharing with each other what God is doing. I'm going to explain this further. As I do, I want you all to be thinking about that. Think about what you could share. Think about your life, what's going on in your life by God's hand. That could be a source of worship and prayer for this community that's in a covenant relationship with God and each other. So as I'm sharing this a little more detailed, think about what God's doing in your life that other people need to know about. We're not these individuals living our own little lives and, thank you, God. Thank you, God. I don't want anyone. That's not how we work. We're a community. And we're blessed in community. We're equipped in community. And the church exists only within the community. Here's some further explanation. I'm currently reading 10 chapters of Psalms a day right now. I'm starting off my days trying to read 10 chapters at a time. Patrick's doing it with me. Are you on chapter 30 yet? Are you? He'll be on chapter 30 by the time he goes to bed tonight. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm trying to read 10 chapters of Psalms per day. And the point is, is I want a more robust picture of what it means to be a robust, wholehearted, all-there worshiper. That's why I'm doing it. And uh, I guess 14 days or whatever, we'll have it done. But I'm currently reading that. My aim is to have this robust picture of a robust, wholehearted worshiper. And I've noticed something, that within the first few chapters, I began to notice a theme. These songs of praise are in large part a recounting of what God has done. Like if you read through the Psalms, it's like, oh, that's a psalm, a song of praise about what God has done. That's all it is. It's, it's not like this complicated, poetic, beautiful, melodic, expert written thing. It's like, God saved me today. That's what he's done. And it's a psalm. It's a praise. It's, a, it's a, an expression of the worshiper. So this recounting of what God's done, most often King David's songs, David has written the uh, majority of the psalms there, uh, the songs of praise are birthed from remembering what God has done. This is the same thing we saw with Eleazar. 
just worshiping because you're remembering what God has done. What do you have to have to be able to remember something? You have to have something to remember. <laughs> yeah, there has to be something there. Like I can't remember something that's never been a part of my life. So if I haven't heard from you what's going on in your life about what God's doing, that was never a part of my life. I never heard it. I never knew it. Therefore, I can't ever remember it. And when I find myself in the same situation two years down the road, I don't have something to remember and worship God because I know that he already brought this person through that situation. There has to be something there for you to remember. Uh, Look at these examples. Turn over to the Psalms. Psalm 13. We're going to hit a few of these. And we won't go past chapter 30. I'm only three days into this. Psalm 13, verses 5 through 6. It says, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. It, this is the psalm. This is this beautiful, robust book of worship that we've been given as worshipers to be able to look back on. And all he's saying is, I trusted God, and God dealt bountifully with me. So he's paying attention to the details in his life, and his song is, yeah, that really happened. Isn't that just amazing? Isn't that just over the top? I trusted God, he dealt bountifully with me. That's a psalm in this breathed out book of God. Psalm 13, 5-6, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. David is looking back on his life and saying, This is what I did. This is what God did. The only way I could do this was because God did this. And he's just recounting what God did. The song itself was birthed from an experience that he had with the Lord. In 18.3, turn to Psalm 18.3. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. Like these songs that I will call upon the Lord who is it? Y'all remember that camp song at all? So shall I, so shall I be saved from my This round is like row, row your boat in the middle of it. Yeah. These are birthed from David's experience. He paid attention to the details that were going on in his life. He worshiped God in the midst of the details and wrote them down and shared them with us. It's this theme we see with Eleazar, and we see it here in the Psalms as well. David is a king who has had firsthand experience in war. And what he's saying is, look, this is how it works, you guys. I call upon the Lord, and I'm saved. He's sharing an observation about how God has directly and specifically worked in his life. He's, he's had real-life experience. He's been in real-life war, uh, wars. He's had real enemies. If you read through this, there's, all, there's these ups and downs of, God, you are so great. God, the enemies are upon me. They want to devour me. They violently pursue me. God, you're so good, and you're seated on your throne. It's like this up and down. It's very honest. It's not just this poetic silliness. It's very honest, and it's detail-oriented. He's saying, look, I'm a king. I've been in war. I've had people who want to kill me. And here's how it works. I call upon the Lord and I'm saved. That's how it works. And that's his song. That's his details that he shares. Uh, in verse, I'm just going to read these. You don't have to turn there. But I was just looking at a couple chapters together. In, verse, in chapter 18, verses 16 through 17, you don't have to turn there. You can if you want. 
in speaking of God, listen to all of these things that he's recounting. God, he sent, he took me, he drew me out of many waters, he rescued me because he delighted in me. That's crazy. The Lord has dealt with me. The Lord rewarded me. The Lord, my God, lightens my darkness. He trains my hands for war. You have given me the shield. Your right hand has supported me. Your gentleness made me great. And then in chapter 22, 27, it says, All the ends of the earth shall remember what's happened and turn to the Lord and all families of the nations worship before you. In 22, 27, we see worship, or remember and worship. Like anytime we think of worship, we should think of remember in front of it because the only reason that we're able to worship God is he's done something that merits a response. So worship should always be remember and worship. It's this theme we see in Eleazar, and we see it in the Psalms. And then the best for last, turn to this, turn to this one, Psalm 9, verse 1. In case you think I'm making up a theory, this is pretty straightforward. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. It gets no clearer than that. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. Another way of saying that is wholeheartedness in worship is directly linked to recounting what God has done, recounting his deeds. We're fact we, we we're not just like arbitrary fact collectors. We're, one of the things that Ben and I were talking about was a, a sermon a while back about um, collecting adjectives. We we love collecting new adjectives about God and and one of the words was as we collect him we enjoy him and we glorify him and that word that Ben made up enjoyify him as we're collecting what's going on about God and these details and these adjectives he does this he deals in this way his hand does this he he provides in this way and we have all these things that we can recount and remember and we worship I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart I will recount all of your wonderful deeds one of the biggest fears I have for any of us would be that we're half-hearted in our worship. And if we're half-hearted in our worship, it's because we're not recounting his deeds. If you truly recount his deeds and you actually see what he does, you will not be half-hearted in your worship. Amos 5, if you want to go read it on your own, write it down in your journal since everyone's taking notes. Amos 5 talks about half-hearted worship. And you read that and you think, I don't ever want to be half-hearted in my worship again. He says, I despise, I hate your feasts. I will not even listen to your solemn assemblies. They're having assemblies. The assemblies are solemn, but because they're half-hearted, God says, I despise it. I don't even want to hear it. I want wholeheartedness. And here we see this link, that wholeheartedness in worship is directly linked to actually being able to recount what God has done. When we begin to forget who God is, we begin to forget what he's done, we begin to put it on the back burners what he's done and, and put on the, on the front what we want to do, what our plans are, we will not be wholehearted worshipers. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot that. I <laughs> yeah. 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 My daughter and I have a, one of our memory verses is great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. And if I'm 60 or 70 something, she's 40, and we're still saying great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. And we've never talked about any details. We're just, hey, he's great. That's not enough. That's not a wholehearted worshiper. Um, as I'm reading through this and meditate on these verses, I find myself wanting to share them with others. I'm like reading through and I'm like texting people that I'm like, oh man, that would help. And this, oh man, that's, re that's really valuable. That would help over here. And I'm wanting to share them. 
and I find myself worshiping God because of what he's done in the life of David. However many thousand years ago. I'm sitting in Starbucks reading through Psalms and saying, God, you are so good. You totally delivered him. He had no prayer other than you swooping in and saving his sorry behind. That's amazing. And I find myself worshiping God because of what David did. And I'm, then I find myself immediately being so thankful that we're not limited to what God did however many thousand years ago in the life of David. He's doing things today. He's done things today. He's doing things right now in your life. 2 Corinthians 9.8, written to the church. One of the things that I'm being mindful of, as, as Ben has shared in these messages on Sunday morning about the church, it's a, a community of people. It is not a me, it's an us. And so when I see words like you in Scripture, I'm realizing it's not just me and my special snowflake awareness of who I am because I'm, God loves, you know, yes, God loves me, but he loves us in this community. And so anytime I see you, I'm, rather than looking and acting like God's talking only to me, I'm, I'm saying, you, are we all getting this? Because he's talking not to me, but to us, not to just you, but to everyone here. So these yous that I see are plural. And in 2 Corinthians 9.8, just write it in your journal, in your notes that you're taking, 2 Corinthians 9.8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, church, you community of faith. His grace is abounding. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you, church, may abound in every good work. God is always doing much more than we can see. So now let's take time to shed some light on the things that God is doing within this body so that we can worship God together. The remainder of our time is going to be sharing with each other what God is doing. And I'm begging you, don't let it be the sweaty palm, awkward testimony time. God's so good. It should be on the tip of our tongues. I gave you warning about 10 minutes ago that I was going to ask you this. So for 10 minutes, you've been able to think about, man, what is God doing that I can share with the body so that this body can worship God for what he's doing in, our, in this family's life, this person's life, whatever it is. So feel free to share. Worship. Remember, the actual act of sharing is worship. We don't—you don't have to sing it. That's what I'm saying. Well, I'll start. I thought that might happen. Um, uh, this week, I—I uh, I realized that unkindness can can rear its head in many ways. Unkindness is not only saying "you stink," "I hate you." That's not the only way unkindness rears its head. And uh, I was frustrated at my lovely wife, who I have no reason to be frustrated at. And I just kind of shut down. Got quiet for about a day and a half. She goes, are you okay? Fine. Are you angry? No. I want you to sit there quietly, pouting, whining for no good reason. And I realized I was sitting there listening to uh, the, I'm trying to prepare for Isaac and Rebecca and this beautiful coming together of the bride and the groom and just the poetry that's in motion there and this unbelievable reunion. And the guy that I'm listening to who's speaking about this, he's written a big book on it. Uh, He says, you know, love is kind. There's no point in marriage where you're allowed to be unkind. You can be, you can have a difference in opinion. You can, you can be upset, but there's no time where you have the right to be unkind. And so the way the Lord worked in my life this week was smacking me in the face during that and realizing, you, you ever felt like you had to apologize to someone, but you didn't know why? 
The worst thing you can do is say, I want to apologize to you, but I don't know why. That seems like the most insincere, half-hearted apology you could give. And when I realized what I had done, I had to go to my wife and I said, I apologize for being unkind. I have no reason to be unkind. I'm called to love you as Christ loved the church. And my attitude this last day and a half has been horrible, and I'm sorry. And, and, and she said, I forgive you, and it was good. But that, that, that's something particularly that happened in my life this week that it was means to worship God. Yeah. 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 This is like a, uh, what we've heard is this is this small, small, small sampling of what God's doing. Um, he's very good. God is so good to his children. Uh, through hard seasons, through fun seasons, through confusing seasons, he's so good. And I wanted to close with Psalm 28, 6 through 9, and I wanted to also say we're closing the time so that the nursery workers can continue to have a joyful testimony as well. But I encourage you all to stay around and share with each other, talk with each other. You don't have to go get in your cars and leave immediately. It's okay. It's only seven something. And so if you all want to continue to st- uh, stay around and talk and share what God's doing, I, I encourage it highly. Psalm 28, 6 through 9 says, so appropriate. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exults, and with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. Let's pray. God, you are our strength, you are our portion, you are our joy. I love hearing what you're doing in the lives of my brothers and sisters. What a sweet time of worship we have had tonight, hearing what you're doing. God, you are worthy of far more worship than we can glory and honor than we can ascribe to you. And I pray that we would, uh, knowing that we could never worship in a perfect response, I pray that we would try our hardest. And I pray that we would... uh, share with each other what is going on in our lives so that we can praise God for it. God, I have a a huge amount and variety of things that I can now praise you for just because of 15 minutes of hearing what's going on in the lives of my brothers and sisters. I had no idea of some of the things that have been mentioned tonight. And you are so good. Your provision is so perfect. Your timing is so perfect. And when you provide for us, our whole nature is taken into account. There's always a bigger picture. There's always more going on than we know. And your redemptive plan is constant and it's perfect and all the details and all the ups and all the downs are okay because you're on your throne and we're your children and you take care of your children. You're so good. I pray that we would find ourselves never filled with anxiety but humbled before you, letting our requests be made known. Thank you for the peace that you give us that we don't deserve. Thank you for the salvation that we receive in Christ that we cannot earn. You are so good to us. You are the strength of your people. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.